As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's Straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up, we'll reflect on the midweek Champions League Ah, sorry, that's a script from last season. Uh, we'll revel in the benefits of a free midweek. Look ahead to the visit of Villa, answer your questions and get our quiz up. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobham. How you doing, listener? Hope you're well. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined today by two of The Athletic's finest. Liam Toomey's with us. How you doing, Liam? I'm good. I can only aspire to your level of podcast polish where I can deliberately misspeak for comedic purposes. <laughs> yeah, it's taken a long time to get this right. Uh, Dominic Fifield's back with us too. You okay, Dom? I'm fine. I'm just wondering whether you'll ever, I don't know, redeem your reputation now. You're riling the, the, the listener base from the outset. It's remarkable. I think we're at the point where the best medicine is laughter. So that's kind of the thing I'm going for. Um, On a related note, Lucy's put out the call for tweets to you guys for your questions. Um, Just want to publicly congratulate Lucy on her gift game, which has been phenomenal of late, by the way. Uh, Rob says, can we have a discussion about how funny it is that the forced out £5 million man CHO did more in an hour for Forest than any of our newly signed attacking talent has done since January? Um, I don't want to rile people anymore, Rob, so maybe you and I can chat about that privately. Uh, But yes, I did very much enjoy that on Monday night. Uh, Right, Liam and Dom joined Io Akinwaleri and Adam Crafton on the Athletic Football Podcast on Tuesday for a big chat on the state of Chelsea, the project, the past, the future and more. So do check that out when we're done here. We're going to focus on matters on the pitch on this episode, chiefly Sunday's game against Aston Villa. So Aston Villa, the oppo at Stamford Bridge on Sunday. Then the game kicks off at the same time as the North London derby, which is the TV pick for us here in the UK. Uh, so you won't be able to watch it if you are like us, unless you're at Stamford Bridge. That's where I'm going to be. Um, Liam, are you going to be at the game on Sunday too? I'm not. I am attending a stag at which I am the best man. Wow. And okay. therefore the organiser. 
So God help the best man. <laughs> we'll get a full breakdown of that on Monday's pod, I'm sure. Uh, so, yeah, if you're in the UK, you're not going to be able to see it live unless you're at the game. Uh, if you are feeling blue about the blue start to the season, head over to The Athletic now. You can read Michael Cox's piece on why Chelsea haven't been as bad as the points total would suggest. Here he is giving us a preview of that article. Sterling with the touch. Jackson looking for it. A trap on The summer of lavish spending, it feels like a lot of people would really enjoy it if Chelsea were going through a bit of a crisis at the start of the campaign. And the results haven't been good. Chelsea have only won one match so far. That was at home to Luton, who were bottom of the table, so maybe their easiest fixture of the season. But actually, when you look at the performances, Chelsea have been a lot better than the results would suggest. The defeat at home to Nottingham Forest is a good example. OK, they lost 1-0 at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea created so many chances in that game. Gallagher takes it on! They only really allowed Forrest one chance. Forrest took that. I think sometimes you have to accept that the result is not necessarily a good reflection of the performance. And the underlying numbers back that up. In defensive terms, in terms of expected goals, only Manchester City and Arsenal have conceded fewer chances. And going forward, Chelsea are fifth in expected goals terms. City way out in front. Brighton are up there in second place. And Tottenham and Villa just ahead of Chelsea. Maybe the one area for improvement is the midfield. I thought against Bournemouth, Enzo Fernandes was very high, couldn't really contribute to build up play. I think Maurizio Pochettino needs to find the best position for him. I think it's probably a little bit deeper than he played against Bournemouth. But there was a positive in terms of the performance from Leslie Ugochukwu, who played the holding role he was in for Moises Caicedo, who hasn't made the best start to life at Chelsea. And he showed great authority on the ball, really comfortable receiving it under pressure, playing forward. He looks a really, really quality player. So, results not that good so far, but the performances, I think, have been pretty positive so far for Mauricio Pochettino. All right, off the back of that, here's a question from Andrew, which raises some of the topics covered in that aforementioned athletic pod on Tuesday that Dom and Liam starred in. Andrew says, what is driving fans' relentless negativity? Underlying metrics slash eye test slash poch all show us as clear top five contenders. Is it just results or something deeper with some in denial about Roman's win-now approach. Um, Liam, I think that last bit's the key, isn't it? There's a, a total change of culture at, at Chelsea, and it's going to take some getting used to for supporters to not kind of just assume that success is a given every season? It's a completely different club in every sense, and that change has happened so quickly and so completely that I think it's it's very reasonable for fans to feel a sense of disconnect and a bit of dislocation. I don't, I don't really think it's a question of Chelsea fans being spoiled and and now they're having to go a few games without winning and they can't handle it. I think it's just because, yes, they want to win. Obviously, all fans want to see their team win, but they, they don't really have a connection to a lot of this squad. They're pretty much all new players that Chelsea fans are still getting to know. And it's a bit more difficult to to build rapport when those players are struggling uh, for confidence, for cohesion. And so I think that that's a big part of it. And there's also a sense of disconnect off the pitch because the way Bowley and Clearlake are running the club is so radically different to Roman Abramovich. And beyond that, I think 
you know, when bad times happened in the Abramovich era, there was always a belief because of the track record that he would find a way or the people he trusted to run the club would find a way to get it right and to win trophies again. Whereas the people at the top of Chelsea making all the decisions do not have that level of trust from the fans. They haven't done it. They haven't delivered trophies to Chelsea or any other football club before. And even Mauricio Pochettino doesn't have, you know, like a formidable record of building trophy machines. So I think that that's all part of it as well. But primarily it's the it's the disconnect. All right. Well, let's um, focus more specifically on Sunday's game then, Dom. As we stand, Chelsea, seven points off fifth place. If we're going to assume that fifth place will get you in, in the Champions League this season, it, it means that they, they can't afford to lose much more ground, can they? You saw Villa at close quarters last week. They left it late to beat your Crystal Palace. What, what did you make of them and, and how big a factor is their game on Thursday night in Poland going to be in this one? Surely that plays into Chelsea's favour. Yeah, it does. And I, I think, uh, I mean, this is new territory for for this Villa team. Uh, the Thursday-Sunday thing, the, the midweek European games will stretch the squad. But maybe not so much after that first game when there'll be an excitement about returning to European competition after after so long. But over the course of a the season, they I think they will find it a challenge. Let's put it like that. I'll be honest, I, I wasn't very impressed with Villa at Villa Park last weekend. And that that bearing in mind that I think they'd won nine on the bounce at, at Villa prior to that. So they should have been playing with all the, the confidence you'd expect to be have to be generated from such a run. They were the better team first half, but um failed to score. Diaby looked a handful. He he looked very, very tricky and will will cause Chelsea problems if he plays. Zaniolo less so. He was he looked as if he was struggling to adapt on his first Premier League start. But as soon as Villa conceded, I mean they really should have been beaten. They sort of huffed and puffed after that, um, in search of a of parity. But but Palace created enough chances on the break to really end the game long in advance of the the 87th minute when Durant, the substitute, scored a fantastic equaliser. And everything thereafter was a bit of a a bit of a mess. They got a bit lucky with a penalty and and scored a third on the on the counter. It's about the twelfth minute of, of stoppage time. So they ended up looking comfortable if you look at the scoreline. But I actually think there's there's a vulnerability there. Um, there was a sloppiness there, and if you look at their away form to date this season, they've been hammered at, at Newcastle on the opening weekend. And Newcastle really haven't delivered that to anyone else this season. And Liverpool made Villa look pretty average at Anfield as well. So there's quality there, but they look like a team that's sort of still adjusting to bring their new signings in, get them up to speed and up to rhythm. And I know the same can be said of Chelsea, obviously, but but it, they might, in normal circumstances, this might represent an opportunity. Well, let's have a look at the team that Chelsea might pick then. Liam Lee says, is Poch going to continue to play a centre-back at left-back while he has three available left-backs in the squad, including our vice-captain? We'll talk about the captaincy maybe a little bit later, but this seems to be something that's riling Chelsea fans a little bit at the moment, seeing Levi Colwell as the left-back and and Ben Chilwell either on the left wing or on the bench. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that wouldn't be an issue if Chelsea had taken the chances they created in the last few games. I don't think anyone would be talking about Pochettino being too defensive because I don't think that's actually been borne out in the performances, but because Chelsea are not scoring freely because they're dropping points, 
fans are looking for reasons why that might be happening and and the lineup is usually a very easy one to look at and if they see nominally five defenders in the team and one of them well two of them being played out of position that's something they go for but he Pochettino did play Mikhailo Mudrik rather than Chilwell in the last game I think Colwell will probably stay at left back and I think it's as much about Thiago Silva as anything else I think if you're going to play Thiago Silva in a back four, you need probably the left back on his side of the pitch to be more conservative. And I don't think Pochettino wants to put Chilwell in that position where you're taking away the best part of his game, which is his ability to get up and down and, and provide that auxiliary attacking width. So really the bigger question is, should Chelsea be playing Thiago Silva? which is maybe something that we should write about at some point. I, I don't know if we should be workshopping ideas on the podcast. Dom. <laughs> I'm liking this. This is great. It's doing my job for me. <laughs> but something to think about. Overall, I don't think the balance of the team has been too bad. And this goes back to the piece Michael Cox wrote recently, that, that Chelsea are actually fine, um, certainly not in crisis. In terms of the way they're defending, the way they're controlling games and the chances they're creating, there's not a lot wrong. But the things that are going wrong are impacting the points at the moment. And that's understandably all the fans will see. I was really um, intrigued by that Michael Cox piece, Dom. And it's worth pointing out, you can sign up for The Athletic now for just a pound a month for 12 months if you head to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod. Were you with Michael, Dom, that, that basically everything looks okay? They just need to kind of take the chances that are coming their way and, and there will be a time when that falls into line for Chelsea? Or, or do you think we're set for a kind of reprise of last season, he said, horrified. I don't think it will be as bad as last season, no. And I think I think everything that Michael wrote was was really putting it into the context of a, a new group of players thrust together overnight, pretty much, uh, with a new coach readjusting to life in the Premier League at a new club, new environment, and just things taking time to settle and actually a lot of a lot of early promise in in the performances and you know we we were pretty impressed with the display against Liverpool in the opening weekend and there were times in the first half against West Ham where where Chelsea should have should have been comfortably ahead and 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 you know had the penalty gone in to put them 2-1 up I think then then you never know what, what, what position we might be it could be completely different circumstances now but I I suspect that when you shove all these things together, it's inevitable there are going to be some issues. And the biggest thing in all football, at all levels, is ultimately confidence and feeling comfortable in your surroundings. And and I think that's what we're that's where they're falling short. They're, they're just a a team where you know some of the players that were there last season are still haunted by everything that went on last season. That's affected their confidence. The new guys have come in and, and there's an anxiety around the place because of what happened last season uh, and this desperation, this eagerness to to hit the ground running and and, um, and impress from the start. And it's it can be unrealistic to do that. I, I think it will click. I think I think there will, there will be a moment where everything that Chelsea hits flies in. There will be a game like that at some point. And from that moment on, maybe that will prove the to kickstart the, the the rest of the campaign. Um, but I think last season probably was an anomaly and it was, it was just so, 
it was so miserable and and everybody was so desperate to get to the end of it all and that's that's added to this sort of desperation for it all to be right now but it's just got to be a bit of patience and um uh, and i think some of those those numbers that that michael indicated in in his piece on on monday will yeah will translate into some better results in the weeks to come mm. It's interesting what Liam was saying about the the disconnect with this team because we don't really know them yet. You can trust that to last season when plenty of supporters would have paid the taxi fares for for some of the players who were playing to leave, I think. Um, in terms of team news for this one then, Liam, we know we're not going to have James Chalaba, Fafana, Chukwameka, Lavia. Doubts over Caicedo, Badia Shield and Breuer. Badia Shield apparently a bit of a setback, a minor setback in his recovery. Um, Jack wants to know what's the latest on Breuer. Feels like Jackson needs some healthy competition. Um, Lewis asking, are we expecting too much from Jackson? Constant comparisons to Drogba without remembering he only got 10 Premier League goals in his first season in a squad that romped the league. Um, is Breuer in a position to come back and, and go straight into the first team? Or we were hearing that he's more likely to play some games for the 21s first? Yeah, I think that's the natural next step. He's he's getting closer. I think physically he's in a good place. But it's such a major injury and he's been out for so long that the last thing you want to do is throw him straight back into the full intensity of a Premier League match, even as a substitute, without proper lead-in time. And so I think development squad action whether it's one game, two games, I'm sure he'll be assessed on a day-by-day, week-to-week basis, how his body's responding. That feels like the most sensible approach. And I know it is tempting to want to speed that up because Jackson is is finding it tough early in his Premier League career and Chelsea don't have a lot else in that position. But Breuer's recovery has to be guided by Breuer's body really and that alone not Chelsea's circumstances because as soon as you start letting these outside pressures come in you start getting re-injuries and Chelsea's injury crisis is bad enough right now but if these players start getting re-injured then it can wreck the entire season I think as we saw a bit of last year so caution has to be the watchword with him I'm sure he has a big role to play once he's back he will get plenty of minutes and I think there will be some decent competition between him and Jackson, but it has to be in its own time. Yeah, it's definitely uh, his reputation's enhanced in his absence, which is something that often happens with players, isn't it? What have you made of, of Jackson so far, Dom? I thought it was an interesting point from Lewis, just just remembering that it didn't happen for Didier mm. Drogba straight away. Obviously, there was that kind of glaring miss against Forrest, the, the shot he had against Bournemouth that went miles wide. But there's no doubt he's given Chelsea much more of a focal point than, say, a, a Kai Havertz was last season. And, and his hold-up play's been, been excellent. Sorry, Liam. <laughs> I've liked what I've seen, really. And you know, the the finishing aside, you know, he could have going back to the confidence thing. If 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 a, a couple of the efforts have flown in early, then he would have been he would have looked a completely different player now. And I'm sure he would have been the confidence would have fueled him, and he 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 would really be hurting opponents. But I like his energy. I like the way he he runs the the channels. He looks if like he's physically up to up to the Premier League. But we again, we just have to remember the, the context of what Chelsea have bought here. They, they've, Didier Drogba had come off the, when he joined Chelsea, had come off the back of a a wonderful season at Marseille where he'd scored goals um, for them. I think it was 18, 20 goals, whatever it was for, for Marseille in the Ligue 1 season. 
Jackson's has come off his best ever goal scoring season, but it was basically a flurry of goals right at the end of the campaign, eight out of nine or something like that, eight goals in nine matches uh, at Villarreal. And um, this was a player that, you know, midway through last season was close to joining Bournemouth. That was the level that he was, that people thought. And then he had this flurry and, and, uh, and now he's a Chelsea player. He's still learning. He's still working out how to maximise his potential in a, in a top division, an elite league. So it's going to take him time as well. They haven't, they haven't bought the finished article. I mean, you could argue that when Jogba came, he, he was, he was a rough diamond as well in many ways. I mean, he, he, he had, a, he'd had that good year. He'd had a, a good year at Gangon as well in, in, in France. And, and, but it took him time to, to settle at Chelsea and become the prolific striker that we all remember. It wasn't an easy ride. There were some pretty awkward moments in those first few months um, where he looked a bit lost at times. So let's just cut Nicholas Jackson some slack here and, 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 and allow him to adapt the, to the Premier League. It's a shame there isn't the competition there, not to raise his levels, but just to, you know, give him a bit of a breather sometimes. I mean, you know, he is basically the only striker that, that Chelsea can call upon at the moment, really, with no Christopher and Kunku available either, and, and Breuer still coming back from fitness. So I just think we have to be a bit a bit easy on him, to be honest. Drogba was 26 when he arrived there you in go. the Premier League. Yeah. And he was also arriving into a team that had far more polish and experience to guide him and occasionally maybe have a quiet word with him about diving. Or So it seems like someone probably needs to have a quiet word with, with Nicholas Jackson about descent because he doesn't seem to be across the new PGMOL directive and he's racking up yellow cards as a result. Yeah, well, this is it. Lucy's pointed this out. At Chelsea Twitter had a bit of a meltdown yesterday. He's on four already, right, Liam? So he's going to get the fifth before too long. I guess this is something that's going to affect teams across the league, right? We had a record number of yellow cards shown on a Saturday last weekend, so it's not going to be unique to Chelsea, but it's a, it's a problem that's coming in the near future. Yeah, and it's, and it's just one example of the adaptation that Jackson faces to English football. I remember Diego Costa when he first came to to Chelsea. I mean, Costa obviously arrived with a very different reputation and temperament. But he picked up, I think he rocketed to five yellow cards in the opening weeks of the season, even while he was scoring. And none of them were for fouls. They were all for dissent. Because I think he was just used to being able to talk to referees a lot more in Spain. So Jackson has a lot to get used to. And I do think, picking up on Dom's point, and Kunku's injury has probably done him the fewest favours because Nkunku was supposed to be the the bankable star of this attack. And I know that sounds weird to say when he still hasn't played a Premier League minute, but in terms of his age and what he'd achieved, his body of work in Germany, I think he was the one that Chelsea were looking to, to be the primary scorer in this team from day one. And that would have put Jackson in in the position of, being like a secondary scorer, someone who could do a lot of the other things that he's already doing quite well, linking play, holding up play, while that side of his game developed. And instead, he's having to do it in the full glare of bearing the scoring burden at Chelsea in a, in a team that's struggling to score. So it's not doing him any favours. I think he'll be fine in time, but it, it's just going to take a little bit of time. 
All right, listener, you can tick off Slidig at Kai Havertz and Christopher and Kunku injury reference from you straight out of Cobham bingo card for today. Um, so we've done up front, we've done the defence. Let's go back into midfield. Leslie Ugachukwu did well at Bournemouth and has actually looked pretty good so far. Maybe he's one of those players who can become a fan's favourite. Alongside him, Liam, we find Connor Gallagher, the muse of this podcast in a lot of ways in recent years. He's the subject of your latest excellent piece, for the Athletic, Chelsea's unlikely captain and the state of limbo that he finds himself in at the moment. It would appear to me that Maurizio Pochettino values him very highly. How surprised were you to see him walk out with the armband around his arm, ironically enough, uh, last week, given that Thiago Silva, Raheem Sterling, even Enzo Fernandez, there were some shouts that he could have been captain, but it was Gallagher who got it. Does he retain it? Is he the third choice captain? What's going on? Well, I'll address each of your questions in turn. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad he was wearing it on his arm rather than anywhere else. Mm, yeah. um, and I, I was also glad that it was uh, correctly sized for him and not for Gary Cahill's biceps, as was the case <laughs> against Wimbledon. I mean, the, the the fact that he wore it against Wimbledon kind of seeded the idea that he could wear it for Chelsea in the Premier League, but it was still a surprise that he got that ahead of Thiago Silva I know Raheem Sterling is not someone who's who's been in that conversation much throughout pre-season, the early weeks of the season, but he is the second oldest player in the squad. And he's captain England before, right, Raheem Sterling? Yeah, and he is definitely someone who's in a leadership role within the squad when it comes to the younger players. And there's also Enzo Fernandez, is the other person I cite in the piece, who, even though he's slightly younger than Conor Gallagher, he's much more secure in this team in terms of everybody knows with the price that Chelsea have paid for him and how he's performed so far, he's going to be a key part of this project for as long as he wants to be. And and so therefore making him a captain, I think he's got the personality for it as well, is a pretty safe bet. Um, Gallagher's less of a safe bet because he might have been gone last summer and he might be gone in January. That's the situation we're in. And the piece wasn't just about him, it was also about Ian Matson. Um, because there are currently 24 of Chelsea's 27 senior players, if you don't count the the younger goalkeepers, who are contracted until at least 2026. I don't think there's another squad in the Premier League that has this contractual situation. The only three players who aren't are Thiago Silva, who at 38 is a unique case. That's going to be a year-to-year situation. Gallagher and Matson And... They're effectively on the same time frame. Gallagher has two years left. Matson, I believe, technically has one year left, but there's an option, that, which is why there's no hysteria about him leaving as a free agent next summer. And this is this is a level of contractual limbo that Bowley and Clearlake have made very clear. They don't want to exist at Chelsea anymore. They don't want any players to get inside the last two years of their deals without either renewing or being sold. And those are obviously two completely opposite outcomes. And that's where we are with with Matson and Gallagher now, where they could end up signing long-term contracts and being part of this squad for the foreseeable future, or they could end up being sold at the next available opportunity. And we don't really know where it's going to go yet. But what we do know is that, for now at least, Pochettino really, really values what Gallagher's bringing to this team. The caveat there is that Caicedo's out, Lavia's out. 
Ugachukwu is still working his way in. So the midfield pecking order is far from set and we don't know where Gallagher will end up within that. But so far, he played the most minutes in pre-season. I think he's played the third most minutes across the first five games. He's in a very, very prominent role and I think he's largely performed well in that role. I don't think he's been a big reason why Chelsea have, have failed to win. So it's just going to be really interesting to watch what happens with him and with Matson between now and January. And then if no contractual developments happen, January will be very noisy with those two again, I suspect. Yeah, Gallagher started every game this season. Only Havertz played more than him in the Premier League last season. Uh, Don, we've seen him as both a kind of 10 and a more defensive midfielder. What do you think Conor Gallagher's best position is? Eight. <laughs> <laughs> So your typical box to box midfield. Well, that was it, wasn't it? I mean, it's a. I'm sure he would say that his his game is about far more than energy and dynamism, but those feel to me like his his biggest qualities. That's what I witnessed when I watched him play a very successful year at Palace on loan. Uh, he was used in a specific way on the right of a midfield three, and um, was given license to contribute in the opposition penalty area and he had the energy to get back and contribute in his own penalty area when he needed to. Um, and he, he looked a, a class apart that, that season. We, I mean, I'm going over old ground. He was Palace's player of the year that year, voted by the fans. Um, he, he did tremendously well. And and yet he doesn't have a framed picture behind you. Well, yeah, because he's not a Palace player, is he? Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, that's not going to work on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so for the benefit of podcast listeners, Dom has a wall covered in pictures, sporting pictures behind him in his podcast space. There are quite a few black and white pictures from an age where Jeffrey Schlupp, I presume, was a twinkle in his father's eye. Um, Maybe they were the last time Crystal Palace won something. Uh, You reckon reckon the Palace have never won anything. Well, you recognise these people, Lynn. Come on, don't pretend you don't. No, I'm too far away. And I think some of them relate to a sport. uh, Is it? I I don't know how to pronounce it exactly. Cricket? (laughs) Cricket. But yeah, so there's a fair bit of that. There's even like a what seems to be an adapted Grand Theft Auto graphic, which looks quite cool. I've always wondered about. Grand Theft Amex, that is. Grand Theft Grand Amex. Theft Amex. When Palace won so at Brighton 2-1 Palace. with two shots on target. Well, two shots, so two touches in the opposition box. That's a fantastic piece of bespoke football content right there. But no Ruben Loftus-Cheek, no Conor Gallagher. Chelsea loanees do not make Dom Firefield's wall. You got a Mark Gurhey corner? Well, what you don't see is obviously what's behind the screen here. And there, there are there are an array of, array of further Palace memorabilia and pictures here but um well i'll just have you just have to imagine whether there's a mark gurhey corner uh the schlup yeah. shrine <laughs> schlup shrine yeah. a matata mount um anyway there's certainly no loic remy uh memorabilia here uh, is he gonna come up in the quiz later no look i mean it's I don't think we're seeing those qualities so much in in a when when he certainly when he sits in that in that role and they've obviously encouraged Enzo Fernandez to get further forward after the sense was that he'd been shackled a bit last season when Chelsea just didn't have any other options in defensive midfield. I don't think that's where 
Conor Gallagher will do his best his best work. And I imagine if he, the more he plays there, when, when he does appear up, you know, on the on the edge of the opposition box, he probably snatch at more chances than than play with the again the confidence thing, just because he's so rarely there and he has to make the most of the the opportunities he gets. Um, I think he's, I don't know. There's there's a sort of I like what he's he's doing, and I think he's 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 doing a good job in a in a team that's got a lot of flux at the moment, largely due to the injuries and the and the new players. But but there's there's a there's a sort of underlying anxiety about it all, which which is a bit unsettling, I think, and that's maybe born of a what must have been a, a difficult summer for him, where he knew that he he wanted to stay at Chelsea, but you know, in five minutes' time, he could. Chelsea might accept a bid for him if if an offer came in that was was acceptable. And the very fact there aren't any contract talks ongoing, as Liam detailed in that piece, I do find very odd, very strange. I don't really get that. I don't it, that that if a player is not talking to their employers and over a new deal when they when they're in this situation that the club deemed to be unacceptable, then I think that probably sends quite a large, clear message to them. Uh, right, we were previewing Chelsea versus Aston Villa. As I say, it takes place two o'clock on Sunday and we'll break it down for you in Monday's pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the Telegraph reporting John Terry is part of a group interested in buying a 10% stake in Chelsea. What do we know about this, Liam? So as far as I'm aware, it's not necessarily an entirely new story. Um, If you cast your minds back to the bid process, there was a thing called the True Blue Consortium, which marketed itself as a a fan-led alternative, which was, I think, inviting fans to buy shares through a platform called Primary Bid and that they would own a minority stake. They were looking to partner, essentially, with the winning bid. And they they would be the ones that would um, that would constitute the fan representation on Chelsea's new ownership. And John Terry was the face of that. He was he he was the the primary Chelsea legend that they'd got on board to to kind of be the the marketing face of this. My understanding is it never particularly got very far with Bowley and Clearlake. There were never any substantial conversations on that front, and instead. Bowley and Clearlake went a different way with a fan advisory board and people like Daniel Finkelstein and Barbara Sharon, um, ostensibly representing fan views at board level. But it seems that um, Terry and some of the people who were involved in True Blue have not given up hope of getting a minority stake in Chelsea, some sort of interest. And 
what we have to be aware of with these reports is that it's again all coming from their side as opposed to indications that the current ownership would consider this or are in fact inviting it. We do also know that Chelsea's owners are courting outside investment and there were reports this week of getting substantial funding from Aries Management, uh, another investment firm. So there, there are deals going on, but I personally would, would be surprised if anything that has come out of last year's True Blue Consortium is, is, is a part of that. All right. Uh, in terms of the academy sides, the under-21s enjoyed a big win in midweek. They beat Luton 4-1 in the Premier League Cup. Leo Castledine got a brace. He's having a great start to the season. Dylan Williams and Tyreek George also found the net. David Washington played an hour in that game. And Alfie Gilchrist captain the side in the week it was announced he'd signed a contract extension. Uh, Liam, I'm imagining that Gilchrist is going to be rocking up at, I don't know, Ipswich or Paderborn or somewhere on loan in January. Yeah, potentially. Paderborn could be a good spot, couldn't it? Given what they did for, for Bashir Humphreys last year. Although I don't know where we stand with the international loan spots. I'm not sure if there's room for him to make a move like that. But yeah, he had a pretty decent pre-season, I think, Gilchrist, in the minutes he got in the US. Looked pretty comfortable on the ball, defensively okay. Probably is at a point where he needs some first-team experience. So I would imagine that alone is is the next step in his development and Chelsea now have a little bit of lead in time before January to to decide where the best place for him is let's see he's with the 21s for the moment they're back in league action uh, they host Manchester City on Friday night before their second game in this season's Football League trophy on Tuesday night when they go to Northampton Town the under 18s meanwhile are at Norwich on Saturday all right let's do a quiz This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. 
Right, Liam, I don't want to knock your confidence, but you put in an absolutely honking performance in this last week, so I'm <laughs> expecting far better from you today. And I've given you a really easy one to start, OK? Who was the most recent player to sign for Chelsea from Aston Villa? Uh, Carney Chitwameka? Is right, yes. You're on the board. Uh, they will get more difficult. Dom, prior to Chuck Wemeka, and this is according to transfer marks, who was the last player to join Chelsea from Villa? So the one before Chuck Wemeka. I'll give you a little clue. He was in England's squad for the 1990 World Cup. Just a long time ago. Tony Zarigo. Oh, that is unbelievable. Where have you pulled that from? Well, I remember the 1990 World <laughs> Cup squad. <laughs> I know, but Tony Zarigo was the reserve left back. So it's just how I didn't even know he yeah. played for Aston Villa until I. Australian, wasn't he? Yeah. The Ben Chilwell of his day. It was a really, well, it was quite popular at the time, I imagine. A, a, a ZX Spectrum computer game, um, which, Matt, you might remember, but Liam won't, uh, on the 48K interaction uh, called The Double, um, where you had to try and win The Double. And it was very, very basic. But I always remember Dorigo was in the Villa squad and that, and Villa were abject on that game. But he would always pop up with goals from left back. Was he basically wow. one pixel okay. on that game? He wasn't even that. They didn't even bother with, a, with that type of thing. It was literally just a like a vidi printer. That was it. That's all they did. And who could have known, or how could he have known then, that he would go on to commentate on the 2012 Champions League final with me? Oh, what a career oh, he's had. Legend. All right, so it's 1-1. Liam, here's your second question. Since 2014, Chelsea have loaned four players to Aston Villa. Can you name all four of them, please? I'll give you five guesses. Four players. Wow. Bertrand Traore was... Oh, no, 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 no. Don't take that as an answer because they bought him from Leon. No, I'll backtrack on that one. Uh, <laughs> Loftus-Cheek had a year there, didn't he? Nope. Oh, for God's sake. Why am I inventing Aston Villa loanies from Chelsea? <laughs> oh. Dom's got his thinking face on. The confidence from the Chukwamika tap-in has gone. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two. Um... Come on, Liam. Well, now the, now the numbers 2-0 are just flashing up in my adult <laughs> well, day. Uh, two will get me. Um, Any others? Dom, can I give him some help on one of them? No. Okay. Not while the score's tied. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, I genuinely, yeah, it's fine. You. Give it to Dom. No, no I, I, don't, I don't know four. Tammy Abraham was one. Tammy Abraham was one. Ryan Bertrand, did he go there on loan? Ryan Bertrand was one. That was going to be my clue, Liam. You said Bertrand and you, you were halfway there. That's the villain. So they would have been in the in the champ. Since 2014. Since 2014. I think the, the last two might both actually have been in the Premier League. Certainly one of them was. No, go on. The other two. Ross Barkley and Danny Drinkwater. Oh, wow. Danny Drinkwater, a glorious four-game loan spell after he had one game at Burnley. Uh, so nobody gets any points for that one, I'm afraid. Dom, here is your second question. I consider that a win. <laughs> yeah, that was a tough question, to be fair. Uh, which defender came off the Chelsea bench in the 82nd minute of the one-all home draw against Aston Villa at the bridge in January 1994? 
Can you repeat the question, please, before I say the inevitable? <laughs> Which defender came off the bench for Chelsea in the 82nd minute of the 1-1 home draw against Villa at the bridge in January 1994? You know what, Matt? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not going to say it. Liam, you can say it. No, I'm not going to get gifted points. If it, if they've allotted <laughs> you the the banker, take it. Bar- Darren Barnard is incorrect. <laughs> oh, <laughs> got him. <laughs> okay, I should probably listen to the question then. <laughs> I'd already scrubbed the question from my brain, so can you repeat it, please? <laughs> Which defender came off the Chelsea bench in the 82nd minute of the 1-1 home draw against Aston Villa at the bridge in January 1994? Chelsea defender. Frank Sinclair. It's a first appearance of the season for Mal Donaghy. Oh, yeah. Lesser spotted, but yeah, just keeping you on your toes a little bit. All right, this is nicely poised. I'm just waiting for Lucy to type a tiebreaker <laughs> into the dock because I always forget to do that. Here's your third question, Liam. Which two Chelsea players started both April's home defeat against Aston Villa and last weekend's draw at Bournemouth? You can have three guesses on that. So basically, this is reflective of the massive amount of change in Chelsea's squad. Only two players started the home defeat against Villa in April and last weekend's draw at Bournemouth. Three guesses to find those two players. So if it was April, it would have been Enzo Fernandez being one because he started every game after he arrived. Correct, Amundo. Um, and the other one, well, it's not, it's not Chilwell because he didn't start. Um, Tiago Silva. No, but you got one more guess. Everyone else has changed. Oh, Conor Gallagher. Afraid uh, not. Dom, do you know who it was? Mudrich. It's correct. Um, what do you think, Luz? Do I give Dom half a point for that or did he need to get both? I'll give him a full point for a David Nugent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But that is a significant, significant half a point because... It puts you on one and a half and means you've already won. I think Lucy's given you that because she couldn't think of a tiebreaker question. Um, third question, Dom, just to rubber stamp the victory. Did I not get half a point for getting one? Yeah, he should get half well, a point. Okay, half that's each. fine, yeah. Half a point, one and a half each. Can uh, I get uh, half a point for getting two of the four? Uh, no, um, <laughs> but you can still win the quiz if you get this final question right. And if you don't, Liam does, then he'll win it. Who scored home and away against Villa for Chelsea in the 2021-22 season? I'm talking league here because they did play in the League Cup as well. But in the Premier League, a Chelsea player scored home and away against Aston Villa in 21-22. Who was it? 21-22. Well, I've got a choice of two then. I'll go for the less likely one. Uh, Lukaku. It's correct, and that's the victory. Well done, Dom. That was tricky. I was going to say Jorginho was the other one. Did he not? 
He scored at Villa Park. He got a couple of pens, didn't he? I think on Boxing Day, if uh, memory serves me right, which I mean, soccer base. And yes, he did. Um, so, yeah, you've won, Dom. I mean, it's a decent victory. I'm not sure what it does for, for your relationship with Liam and, and if you think that's going to affect him going forwards and the work he's going to put in over the next couple of weeks. But, you know, you've got to play the questions as they're presented to you, I guess. Yeah, and I'll just, I'll just attempt to pick him up off the floor. You know, it's 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 what happens. It's like it's like it's like Chelsea every week, isn't it? to be fair for Liam. <laughs> um, Liam, I thought it was a much improved performance. I think there's there's cause for optimism. The underlying yeah. metrics were good, yeah, Liam. Well done. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Michael Cox is working <laughs> on his piece explaining why Liam Toomey starts the quiz season hasn't been as bad as the numbers. As much as everyone would love Liam Toomey to be in crisis, <laughs> the signs suggest he's fine. No, I think today kind of hammers home to me that I can either panic and lose ignominiously or keep my cool and lose with honour. <laughs> Which is better of those? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you're on a Monday either, but if not, you've got a clear week to prepare. So maybe just don't go wild on the stag do and just remember that, you know, there are points to be played for on a Thursday. Well, that's kind of that poor Twitter follower who hates the quiz section of this podcast. <laughs> He's had that and the contents of my wall to deal with today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that poor producer who's got to cut a lot of this stuff out as well. <laughs> She's getting my sympathy. Um, <laughs> right, Liam, I uh, mentioned that The Athletic is now only a pound a month for 12 months. That means people can sign up to read your excellent work. What what have you got in the pipeline? Tell us a bit more about that. some stuff on the horizon, please. Yeah, so aside from the Gallagher-Matson piece that is already live on The Athletic, I'm writing today a piece about uh, buyback clauses, which is certainly relevant to Chelsea, but is probably most timely because of Daniel Levy's comments about Harry Kane. And without spoiling it too much, the general gist is that buyback clauses are immensely overrated uh, in terms of how often they practically have any value. Mm, yeah, don't often actually get taken up, do they? Uh, Dom, you oversee a lot of the stuff that goes up on the site. What, what have you particularly enjoyed of late and should people be looking out for? Well, Simon is writing a piece to go probably on Friday uh, about uh, Chelsea's home toils. Um, I know we could probably write the same piece next week about their away toils, uh, or sort of certainly Pochettino's. But but um, yeah, the, that psychological barrier um, at Stamford Bridge, which contrasts so much with you know what what we saw through most of the Abramovich era, certainly at the beginning, where Chelsea were just invincible at home, felt that way. And he's also he's attending the game uh, on Sunday against. Villa, so there'll be a match piece going up Monday, which may or may not now revolve around Thiago Silva, thanks to Liam's commissioning <laughs> skills earlier in the day. All right. Well, look, it's well worth signing up at that price. Only a pound a month for 12 months. The best way you can support this podcast as well is to do it through that link, theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod. If you'd like to leave us a nice review on iTunes or Spotify, that all helps as well. Maybe you could be like Paul Brentwood who says it's okay, but I would have thought a Chelsea podcast would have Chelsea supporters, not a Nottingham Forest fan. We got a Crystal Palace fan on as well today, Paul. Apologies for that. Just to reiterate, I am a Forest supporter, but a Chelsea sympathiser. I want them to win every game they play apart from two all season. Hopefully you'll find the coverage is quite blue tinted here on Straight Out of Cobham. We will be back on Monday to talk all the stuff that's gone on over the weekend and plenty more besides. So join us for that if you can. Until then, thanks to Dom, to Liam and to Lucy and to you for being with us. We'll catch up with you again next week. Bye for now.
The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.